Welcome to Gateway Podcasts. We hope you enjoy the following recording from Gateway Church Doncaster in the United Kingdom. For more podcasts and information about Gateway Church, please visit our website, gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk. Thank you for listening. Great. Well, good morning, everyone. It's uh, really good to be with you this morning. We um, had a conversation with uh, one of the guys, one of the young guys in our church a few weeks ago. We have a bunch of young guys who are very enthusiastic football players. We have a football team. I asked them on the Sunday morning. I said, um, you know, how did the game go yesterday? He said, oh, we, we lost to Gateway Doncaster. <laughs> I thought, what? Now, I mean, no offence here, but you know, I'd been to Gateway Doncaster and I didn't remember seeing a lot of Budden Wayne Rooney's in the church. So I, I, I just thought, well, what, you know, I thought, what's wrong with you guys? How could you get beat by Gateway Doncaster? Well, what I discovered, of course, a few weeks later was that you've got, an, he said to me that actually, it's one of the best football teams in the league. And uh, so what's... Tim is doing a fantastic job. I met Tim just about a week or two later and he was telling me you've got about 50, uh, a squad of about 50 young people, great football team. So hey, respect, you guys are a force to be reckoned with. So uh, it's a great ministry, fantastic. Um, Now, this morning is a first for me. I'm going to be preaching from, rather than from notes, from an iPad. So I'm not a show off. This is, a, this is a first. I was given this as a birthday present a few weeks ago by the church. It was a big birthday. I won't tell you which one. They're not usually so generous towards me. And I think, yeah, that's the one. It was, um, I think, a bit of a joke on their part because they know that really I'm a paper and pen man at heart. I'm just not really very good with technical stuff. And so I think they were having a bit of a laugh at my expense. So I'm determined to turn up next Sunday morning and, uh, and preach from notes on my iPad. So I thought I'd better have a dry run this morning before I did that. So you guys are the guinea pigs. So if it all goes pear-shaped, don't worry. I've got some written notes in my bag just in case. <laughs> I wonder if you'd like to turn with me to uh, Joshua chapter 13. Joshua 13 verse 1 says, When Joshua was old and well advanced in years, the Lord said to him, You are very old. (laughs) That's not what you want to hear really, is it? You are very old and there is still much land to be taken. You are very old and there is still much land to be taken. On the face of it, that just sounds a bit like stating the obvious, doesn't it? Um, But you know what? Sometimes we need to have the obvious stated. Because God's people are very good at, uh, at just kind of, you know, we can kind of rationalize ourselves into thinking things are other than they actually are. And sometimes God just needs to come to us and say, listen, this is 
the reality. Not to condemn us, not to make us feel bad, but just to, to, to help us to honestly and accurately and truthfully describe our present situation. And because we have a tendency, don't we, particularly church leaders, we have a tendency to put a positive spin on things. To make things sound just that little bit better than they actually are, rather than kind of just face the honest truth. And you know what? There remains much land to be taken. That could be a word to the church today, couldn't it? There remains much land to be taken. You know, God is calling us to take a journey, to make this journey from here to there. And, and you know, we're very good at thinking about there. There's the preferred future. There's where the vision is. We're good at describing that. We can, you know, we can talk about people being saved and added. We can talk about lives transformed. We can talk about broken people finding hope and wholeness and freedom in Christ. Of a city being awakened to the presence of God. However we want to describe it, you know, we need to have that, that clear picture of that preferred future that we believe that God is leading us to. But what I've had experienced, or what I've learned over the years is that we also need to have an accurate description, not just of there but of here. We just need to know where here is. Because if we're going to make a journey from here to there, we've got to know where we're starting from, right? It sounds obvious, but it's just easy to overlook that. And um, there needs to be within us not just a desire for what is there, but there needs to be a holy dissatisfaction with what is here, with the existing reality. Because if we feel here is okay, then we're never going to be motivated to make that journey from here to there. Because there's always going to be a cost involved in making that journey. And if we feel that here is acceptable then we're never going to be motivated to pay that cost. And so as Christians we can be very good at saying all the right things and making all the right noises, but actually in our hearts, deep down, we're actually quite happy with the status quo. It might not be great, but, you know, we understand how it works, we know where we fit, it's, it's okay. We're getting enough of what we need or want to make us really quite happy to stay there. And, uh, you know, we all know about the famous speech of Martin Luther King where he stands up and he says, I have a dream. Right? What we don't, or what we forget, is that he spent about four years before he made that speech telling people why the existing reality was totally unacceptable. He spent a lot of time talking about here before he started talking about there. So when God comes and says there is still much land to be taken, it's not just, you know, it's not just a kind of a, a description. What it is is a provocation. He's not just trying to, he's not just stating the obvious, he's actually describing the existing situation in a way that is intended to provoke them to do something about it. And uh, one man who felt that sense of dissatisfaction very acutely was a man called Caleb. And, and his story gives us a great insight into the kind of faith that, that we need to make the journey from here to there. We might call it the faith that overcomes. 
I thought that was a really good word this morning about being overcomers. That's what we are called to be. And Caleb was a man who had the faith of an overcomer. The faith that enables us to make that journey from here to there. So let me read the story of Caleb beginning in Joshua. Just flip over to the next chapter. Joshua 14 verse 6. Now the men of Judah approached Joshua at Gilgal. And Caleb, son of Jephunneh, Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, why didn't they just give them decent names, said to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God at Kadesh Barnea, about you and me. You know what the Lord said to Moses about you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land. And I brought him back a report according to my convictions. But my brothers who went up with me made the hearts of the people sink. I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. So on that day Moses swore to me, The land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever, because you have followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. Now then, just as the Lord promised, He has kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said this to Moses while Israel moved about in the desert. So here I am today, 85 years old. I am still as strong today as the day that Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. Now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. You yourself heard then that the Anakites were there and their cities were large and fortified. But the Lord helping me, I will drive them out. Just as he said. Then Joshua blessed Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and gave him Hebron as his inheritance. So Hebron has belonged to Caleb da, 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 ever since. Because he followed the Lord, the God of Israel, wholeheartedly. Isn't that a great story? The story, or at least the big part of the story of Caleb. So let's just look at the kind of faith that we see demonstrated here. First of all, we see that it's a faith that's formed in a story. You know, faith doesn't come as a nap or as a download that we can just kind of suddenly get into our lives. You know, it, it develops in a, in a history, in a story with God, walking with God over time. Caleb's faith had been tested, it had been proved. He wasn't just some dissatisfied complainer having a moan about what was happening. He wasn't someone who was just a dreamer. You know, lots of people can have great dreams about all that they want to see God happen. But he was a man whose faith had been proved. Had been proved. He had promises that had been spoken over his life. What about you? Have you had promises spoken over your life? I know you have. Many of you have, have had that. God has spoken to you. There have been promises that have been spoken over your life. There have been times when you've put your neck on the line. Where you've stepped out. And God has, has moved in. And you've proved God to be real. To be a provider. To be one who acts in your lives. Each of you has a story to tell. You can look back over those times when, when God has just been real. And has spoken. And has been there with you. And maybe you came to a dead end. And you didn't know where to go. And God opened the door. That just you hadn't seen before. How many of you 
can see that has happened in your life. You've proved God. You've got a story to tell. Amen. That's great. Well, that's the first important part. Look, you're halfway there already. But, you know, some of us, and this has been true of me sometimes, you know, there are promises that I've carried, some going back now nearly 30 years to when I was baptized. And, uh, and I still haven't seen them fulfilled. And over time, things can get kind of buried you can forget things just under the discouragement, the events of life. You just can lose hold of what God has spoken to you. And You know, recently there have been a couple of things that God said to me years ago that I've begun to just, you know, kind of bring out and shake down and, and, and take a look at and begin to pray into and begin to stir up faith towards. You know, because the fact that God says something, the fact that God wants to do something, doesn't mean that it's going to happen automatically. Then it's going to be just kind of handed to us on a plate. Sometimes we just need to pray and believe and press in to the things that God has for us. So I want to encourage you. Some of you have got promises there that have kind of lain dormant in your hearts for a while. I want to encourage you at this time to begin to bring them out into the light of day again. Bring them before God. Begin to pray afresh that God will do it. So faith that overcomes is a faith that has a history. Second thing is, is it's a faith that is true to his convictions. Caleb says that when, you know, when they sent out the spies into the promised land and they all came back saying, oh, it's terrible, they're all huge, we can't do this. And he said, no, we can do this. And he says that he spoke according to his convictions. He was a man who was put off by the, the negativity, by the faithlessness, by the opinions of other people. He held on to his convictions concerning God's ability. This wasn't just like positive thinking. No, this was something that was in his heart. It says, literally, that verse means that he spoke what was in his heart, in his inner being. You know, at times we can become quite overwhelmed, can't we, by all the, just the negative, I mean, the news at the present time, I just think, oh, I don't want to listen to it any longer, it's just so depressing, you can just start to get so down about everything that's happening, no, we have a God who is able, I, just one of the, an illustration I sometimes use, there's a little fish that is called the four-eyed fish, have you ever heard of the four-eyed fish? Okay, that's good. Let me tell you about the four-eyed fish. Its, uh, it's proper name is Anableps. You can look it up on Google. And uh, it swims. It's a little fish. You find it in the kind of inland waters of South America. And it's called, it doesn't really have four eyes. It's just has two eyes. But his eyes have this very unique capacity. What it does is it swims along the kind of surface of the water. You see? So uh, it sees what's going on in the water. But it also sees what's happening in the air above the water as well. Quite unique. Most fish, you know, all the other fish, they're down there. They see, they see what's happening in the water, but they have no idea what's happening up above. But this little thing, it swims along there. It sees what all the other fish see, but it also sees a completely different reality. See where I'm going with this? See, we're called to be four-eyed fish, if I can put it that way. We have a capacity that other people do not have. We see everything that everybody else sees. We're not denying the reality. We're not, you know, we're not closing our eyes to all the stuff that's happening 
around us, but at the same time we have a capacity to see a different reality. To see, to have our eyes opened to what God is doing. You know, the Bible talks about the visible and the invisible, the seen and the unseen. These are not two different realities. They are all part of the one created reality that God has made. And faith enables us to see the unseen. To see what God is doing. And not just the kind of physical circumstances that are happening around us. Like that Moses, he says that he persevered. He, he kept going, he held on to his convictions. Why? Because he saw him who is invisible. We have the same capacity as he had. Third thing about a faith that overcomes is it is a faith that follows God wholeheartedly. That's what, that's what it says about Caleb, that he kept on following the Lord wholeheartedly. For more than 40 years he had been doing this. He'd been winning those battles of the heart. He'd been staying true to God, not getting sidetracked. You know, many people start well, but not everyone finishes well. That's just a reality. Anyone here heard of, of Billy Graham? Anybody not heard of Billy Graham? Okay, you know, probably the most famous preacher in living memory. What about Chuck Templeton? Anybody heard of Chuck Templeton? Nobody's heard of... Oh, that's amazing. Chuck Templeton was converted at age 19 in 1934, the same year as Billy Graham. By the time he was in his mid-twenties, he was widely held to be the most effective evangelistic preacher in North America. He was better known. He was a contemporary of Billy Graham's. He was better known in the early years than Billy Graham was. If you'd seen the two of them side by side, people would have put their money on Chuck Templeton rather than Billy Graham. That was, the, that was what everyone thought at the time. They often went together on missions. They preached together. They were great friends. But of the two of them, Chuck Templeton was generally reckoned to be the most effective preacher. In 1948, their paths began to diverge. Templeton began to question the authority of Scripture. And he began to poke fun. Friendly at first, but to poke fun at Billy Graham's, what he called his outdated style of preaching. You know, Billy Graham was famous for just standing up there and says, the Bible says, the Bible says. And, and his friend would just begin to poke fun at him for what he considered his naive confidence in the authority of scripture. In 1949 Billy Graham's preaching brought about a great revival in Los Angeles and that kind of launched him into a whole new level of effectiveness in his ministry. He never looked back from there. He went on to preach the gospel face to face to more people than anyone else in history. What happened to Chuck Templeton? Well within a few years of that this guy had stopped preaching, he had divorced his wife, he had returned to his native Canada where he became a writer. His last book was published in 1996. It was entitled, Farewell to God, My Reasons for Rejecting the Christian Faith. Last month saw the publication of Billy Graham's latest book, which is called Nearing Home, Thoughts on Life faith, 
and finishing well. What a story that man has got. But it's, you know, there's a little kind of postscript to him. There's a guy you might have heard of called Lee Strobel, who's a, a current writer, has written a lot of great books on explaining Christianity. He went to have an interview with Chuck Templeton shortly before he died in 2001. And he asked him what his thoughts were now about Jesus. And with tears in his eyes, this guy simply said, I miss him. Wow. I miss him. See, there's a little encouragement there, isn't it? It kind of says that despite all that he'd kind of done and turning his back on his, the faith of his early years, that there was still some reality there. Still some, some sense that, that actually he lost his way. But, you know, faith that overcomes is faith that follows God wholeheartedly right to the end. Not just at the start. We'll, you know, we'll all be familiar with that great verse in Hebrews 11, which presents, that chapter presents some of the heroes of the faith. And I love the description of them in verse 13. It says, all these people were still living by faith when they died. That's my goal. <laughs> just still be living by faith when we die. You know, it goes on to say that they didn't receive the things that were promised. Right? You know, they, they were traveling. They didn't receive the things they were promised. But it says that they saw it from afar. And they were pulled towards it. It's that spiritual vision that keeps pulling us from here to there. A faith. Number four. You still there? Is this okay? Number four. Faith that, over, faith that overcomes is one that isn't put off by setbacks and disappointments. Anyone here ever suffered a setback in life? Yeah. Yeah. It says, you know, verse 10, while Israel moved about in the desert, for 40 years they were wandering in the wilderness. And, uh, you know, Caleb has been waiting all this time. It's like God spoke that word to him and then he says, for 45 years. Can you imagine that? You know, the land on which you set your feet is yours. Wow! Let's go! Well, hang on. 45 years later. Through no fault of his own. Imagine that. You know, he's stuck in the wilderness with a bunch of whiners. Oh my goodness! By the end of that time, I'd have been like Victor Meldrew on <laughs> steroids. But there's no sign of that with this Guy, is only there's no frustration, there's no bitterness, there's no I've told you so. You don't pick up any of that with them. You know, one thing that I have learned in church life is that things never work out as planned. You ever discovered that one? Things just never work out as planned, and, and just about everything that you set out to do takes much longer. You know? You know, I think, oh, let's do this. Six months time, pro. You know, it's five years later, you're still slogging away. Things just take longer than you think they're going to take. Delays, you know, delays, setbacks, disappointments. But yeah, what I've learned is actually that is all part of the deal. And uh, all these things, it's, it's in these delays, it's while we're wandering around frustrated, not making progress. 
That's actually the time when God is at work in us. That's part of the journey that we are on. But we need to be aware of the dangers that face us when we're in such a time. And uh, sometimes we refer to those as the deadly days. You probably know what they are. Things like disappointment, discouragement, doubt, disillusionment. And you know what? Those are things that we all wrestle with. All of us. I've never spoken to anyone who doesn't at times struggle with those things. The problem is, you know, struggling with them, wrestling with them isn't a sin. It's not a sin to have doubts. It's not a sin to get discouraged. It's not a sin to find yourself just think, where is God in this? What, what's problematic is when we give way to these things. When they begin to rule in our hearts. When, because if they do, then they will derail you. A disappointment can give way to bitterness. And discouragement can breed dullness and passivity. And disillusion can turn into cynicism. And doubt, of course, can harden into unbelief. And you know what? Caleb spent 45 years dealing with those issues. And not allowing them to rule in his heart. And as a result of that, he demonstrated another characteristic of a faith that overcomes. This is number five. It's a faith that keeps us available. Verse 10, I love this. He says, here I am today. Here I am today. No, he didn't say, listen, if you'd come to me 20 years ago, I might have been up for this. Or, and he didn't say, well, you know, now's just not a good time for me. I've got a lot going on in my life. You know, try me again in, in six months. I'll just have a bit more time available when we get to that. You know, Woody Allen, one of my favorite quotes, he said that 80% of success is showing up. That is so true. You know, it doesn't matter how gifted and talented and amazing and awesome you are. If you don't show up, God can never use you. Right? It's the people that show up. However imperfect and struggling and not sorted out, those actually are the people that God can use. And, uh, and he said, I'm still here. Here I am today. Uh, you know, just... Honestly, it sounds so simple, but actually one of the most important things that we can do as Christians is just be available for God to use. Some Christians have like a big do not disturb sign hanging around their neck. Not, you won't see it, but everything about their attitude tells you that that's what's there. And, uh, you know, the Bible says today, today is the day of God's salvation. Today, if you hear God's voice... Don't harden your heart. Today is, is, you know, it's living in the moment. That's what God calls us to do. Here I am today. Number six, faith that overcomes is a faith that keeps us strong. This guy is 85 years old. Now that's unusual. I have My father-in-law is 92 years old. I still wouldn't like to take him on arm wrestling. He is, uh, some, some men just do have a, an unusual physical strength and, 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 go, and go on and on. But, but actually, for most of us, the issue isn't physical strength, is it? I mean, sure, it's, it's good to take exercise and eat well and look after your body. And yeah, I can tell looking around here, that's something you all take very seriously. 
You eat well, good. But, uh, but it's not lack of physical strength that's the issue for most of us, is it? It's, it's, it's the fact that so often we feel like we're running on empty, that we've just nothing to give, that we're just looking for the next fix to get us through today or this week or, or whatever the case may be. There isn't that spiritual, that strength of, of the grace of God in our inner being. Paul says, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. He says, let your hearts be strengthened by grace. You see, our strength isn't in ourselves. Our strength is in Him. One of my favorite verses ever of First Pan and I has been kind of part of our journey going back to when we first became Christians. Psalm 84 says, Blessed are they whose strength is in you, who have set their hearts on pilgrimage, on the journey from, from here to there. One version says, in, in whose hearts are the highways to Zion. I love that. Blessed are those whose strength is in you. And it says, they go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. That's God's provision for us. That's God's will for us. Is that we, we're not kind of going from one fix to the next. But that we're going from strength to strength. Our hearts being strengthened daily by the grace of God. Staying connected with the living God. Making sure that we are doing the things. Not to earn brownie points. Not to, not to somehow work our way into God's favor. But spending time in His Word. Spending time worshipping Him. In order that we can receive the grace of God into our lives. That we can be strong. That we can flourish in God's house. That's what God has for us. And that's the kind of faith that we need if we're going to continue to stay on the journey. Number seven, a faith that's ready to fight. He says, I'm just as vigorous, this 85-year-old guy, I'm just as vigorous to go out today into battle as I was back then. Hey, anyone notice that we're in a battle? Anyone notice that there's a fight raging? In this world. You know one of the first maxims of warfare. Is that no plan survives contact with the enemy. Right. You can set out with this great strategic plan. But as soon as you encounter the enemy. They've got a plan too. Right. And it's, it's to do with defeating you. It's to do with taking you out of the fight. It's to do with disheartening you. It's to do with making you feel that you just can't win. He has a plan as well and uh, yeah we it's just this explains so much of what happens this explains why you you set out with something and suddenly key people are are just taken out this is this explains why a simple misunderstanding suddenly blows up into something that threatens to engulf a church in a major dispute because we're in a warfare this explains why we struggle daily with temptations and doubts and discouragement and all these thoughts of, I'm useless, I'm a failure, I can't do anything. Because, because we have an enemy who is determined to prevent us from coming into our true identity as sons of the living God. And walking, walking in the power and in the knowledge of that. And uh, yeah, we have, we have weapons, you know, Paul talks in Ephesians 6, we're not left defenseless, we have weapons that we can use in this battle, but, but you know what, you can just get weary, can't you? 
Anyone ever find that? You just think, oh, I just, I want this all to stop. I just want to get out of this and, and just sit on a beach and not think about anything. You just can get weary of being in the battle. That ever happened to you? Just now. Just now and again. And, uh, and you know, it's, it's actually what I've discovered is that most battles aren't won by nifty footwork. What wins most battles is just good old-fashioned endurance. Just sticking in it. And that passage in Ephesians 6, the word that Paul uses more than anything else is stand. Yeah? After you have done everything, stand. Stand your ground. Stand firm. Endurance is the key to getting through. There's an old mentor of mine who went to be with the Lord just about a year ago. And he used to tell me, when I would go to him and say, oh, you know, and go and have a good moan, he would say, hey, the 11th commandment, John. You know what the 11th commandment is? Don't get caught. Thou shalt bash on. That's what he used to tell me, thou shalt bash on. I went looking for sympathy. <laughs> bash on. And that's, but he, that's what he did. This is a man who for most of his years, most of his life, he struggled with disability disabilitating illness two, three times I think he nearly died but he just kept bashing on into his 80s before he went to be with the Lord and uh, he, he never let it stop him doing what God had called him and gifted him to do that is faith that overcomes finally faith that overcomes is a faith that asks boldly. I just love this bit. He says, Give me, give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. Hey, that's not very British, is it? That just sounds a bit rude. You know, it's like we don't want to be any trouble. We don't want to be a nuisance. It's drummed into us from when we were kids to be nice and to ask politely. You know, we say, well, I say, would you mind awfully? If it wouldn't be too much trouble... And Caleb says, give me! Now the Jews have a word for this. They call it chutzpah. Have you ever heard of that? Chutzpah. Say that. Chutzpah. No, no, you have to get a ch. See? Only Jews and Scottish people can do that. We have more in common than you think. So, chutzpah. And, and what it means is, you know, they've got, a, they've got a nerve. They're audacious. They're determined. They are even impertinent. You know, we might say you've got a bit of a brass neck here doing this. But you know, it seems that actually God likes people to show a bit of chutzpah. Like the, you know, the story of the Syrophoenician woman in Mark 7, we wouldn't take no for an answer. Jesus dismisses her by saying, it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. That was a nice pastoral little conversation, wasn't it? And, uh, and, and instead of taking offense, she just comes right back at him and says, Yeah, but even the dogs get to eat the crumbs at the children's feet under the table. And Jesus commends her for her chutzpah. And he gives her what she wanted. Or there's the story in Luke 18 about the persistent widow who keeps coming to the judge. And... Uh, and asking him to give her justice against her adversary. And the judge keeps turning 
her away. But eventually he says, even though I don't fear God or care about what people think, because this widow keeps bothering me, I'll see that she gets justice so that she doesn't wear me out. I think that Jesus is inviting us to have some chutzpah. Yeah? To ask boldly, audaciously, to be determined. What's your give me? Have you got a give me? John Knox, the uh, famous Scottish reformer, prayed, give me Scotland or I die. He had a bit of chutzpah. There's a great story. But you know, if you prayed, give me dot 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 dot, what would it be? What would your give me be? There's a story in uh, something most of you have heard of John Ortberg, well-known Christian author at the present time. He wrote a book, uh, If You Want to Walk on Water, You've Got to Get Out of the Boat. Yeah? Well, you probably heard. He tells a story there about an insurance salesman uh, named Bob. So Bob becomes a Christian and he begins to be mentored by, by this guy called Doug. And one day Bob gets, he reads this statement about you know, that Jesus says about you know, anything, whatever you ask for in prayer, ask whatever you ask in my name, and you will receive it. And he's like, whoa. So he goes to Doug and he says, listen, I've read this. What, is this true? And so Doug kind of says, well, yeah, well, you know, you've got to read it in context. It's not like a blank check. You have to, you know, you have to kind of be asking according to God's will and so on. But, but, but yeah, it's true. Jesus really does answer prayer. So Bob says, great, um, then I've got to start praying for something. You know what? I'm going to pray for Africa. So Doug says, well, that's kind of, maybe kind of a wide target to start off with. Maybe you should narrow that down a bit and maybe just pray for one country. And he says, okay, I'll pray for Kenya. And uh, Doug says to him, have you ever been to Kenya? No. Do you know anyone in Kenya? No. But Bob just, he wanted to pray for Kenya. So he goes off and and starts doing this, and, and, and as he does it, Doug makes him an offer, an interesting offer. He challenges Bob to pray every day for six months for Kenya, right? Every day for six months. And what he says is, if nothing out of the ordinary happens, I'll give you $500. But if something out of the ordinary does happen, you give me $500. So they went off, and he began to pray, and you know, for a long while, Nothing happens. Then one night, he's at this dinner, and everyone's sitting around describing, you know, telling each other what they do. And one woman at the table with him uh, explains that she is helping to run an orphanage in Kenya. So that got Bob's interest, and he started to ask question after question of this woman. And she was so impressed by all the questions that he's asking that, that she says to him, well, would you like to come over to Kenya and visit this orphanage that I helped to run. And so he did. And he got there and he was so appalled by the conditions that these kids were living in and the lack of ba basic health care that as soon as he got back to the United States he began to write letters to loads of pharmaceutical companies and he said, you know, you guys are, every year you throw away so much of medicine that's so much, you know, it's just past this kind of sell-by date or whatever. What about if you just gave it to this orphanage in Kenya and within weeks this orphanage begins to receive all of these parcels of, of medicines and 
everything. And, and so soon this woman is on the phone to Bob and she said, it's amazing, since you got back and started writing these letters, we have received over a million dollars worth of medications. We'd, we'd like to have a big party and we'd like you to come over and celebrate with us. So he flies back to Kenya and uh, they're at this party and they had also invited along, because this was the biggest orphanage in Kenya, so they'd invited along the, the Prime Minister of Kenya to join this party. So Bob gets talking to the Prime Minister and the Prime Minister invites him to uh, take Bob on a little bit of a tour of Nairobi. And in the course of this tour, they visit a prison. So they're walking around this prison, and Bob asks the pr president about a group of prisoners there, and the president explains to him, well, these are political prisoners. And Bob says, that's a bad idea, you should let them go. And uh, he gets back home, and uh, he'd been home about a week or two, and he gets a phone call from a government official. The government official says, is this Bob? He says, yes. Were you recently in Kenya? Yes. Did you have a conversation with the president? Yes. Did you talk about political prisoners? Yes, we did. What did you say to him? I said you should let them go. And this official explained to him that for years they had been working. The State Department had been working trying to get the release of these political prisoners without any success. And just like suddenly they heard the news that all these people had been let out of prison and it was all due to some guy called Bob. <laughs> right? So this... This insurance salesman, who had been a believer for no less than a, you know, just for a matter of months, was beginning to have a huge effect. The next thing that happened was the president phoned him up again and said, listen, I need to have a kind of a restructure of my cabinet, of my government here. Would you, if, if I fly you over, would you be kind enough to come and pray for me for three days? as I appoint all these new officials, that just God would give me wisdom about who to appoint. So, that's what happened. That's what happened. All because one man had a bit of chutzpah, who was willing to just come before God and start to pray, and keep praying with determination until God did something. Now listen, what is your give me. And what might happen if you had the chutzpah to come before God every day for six months and pray for that. I'll tell you one thing that wouldn't happen. Owen is not going to give you $500 anytime soon. <laughs> but what might God do if you took that step before Him? I'm, I'm going to leave it there. We have, you know, just... I wonder if we could just have a guitarist or something. I, I, I want to leave this thought with you. This audacious faith. This faith that overcomes. It's not some great thing that you or I do. It's about what God will do. In us. And through us. And with us. When we have a faith that overcomes. Faith for the long haul. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Don't forget to visit gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk 